If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you take them please and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We're continuing our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount, discovering again how to live life according to Jesus, to learn what Jesus said about various issues. The Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, recorded in the greatest book that has ever been written, addressing some of the greatest issues and ethical situations that you and I will ever face in life as we live out the life that God has given to us while here on this earth. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us and we thank the Lord for his teachings. We thank you the Lord for his example that he put into practice the very things that he taught his disciples to, to do and follow him as the supreme example of all things. Today, we're looking at the subject of worry or anxiety, and it's based on Matthew chapter six, beginning with verse 25. If you have your Bibles open, I trust that's where you'll find Matthew chapter six, beginning with verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So why we should not worry? because the Lord commands us to not worry. Notice in verse 25, he says, do not be worried. He repeats it in verse 31, do not worry. And he repeats it the third time in verse 34, so do not worry, do not worry. This is a command from our Lord. And it, yet it is a fact of life that all of us worry, all of us do. You worry, I worry, adults worry, children worry, teenagers worry. We know that we shouldn't, we know that it's wrong, but we do it anyway. Some people are worry warts. Are you a worry wart? Webster's Dictionary defines a worry wart as one who is inclined to worry unduly, excessively, when they don't have to. One lady said she was worried because she didn't have anything to worry about. That's a worry wart. Another woman I heard about worried so much that the hair began to fall out of her wig. That's being a worry wart. You'll notice in chapter six, verses 25, 27, 28, 31, and 34, Jesus said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. 
If you have the King James Version of the Bible, the translation reads, give no thought. It literally means don't worry about the things of your life. If you have the Life Application Study Bible, you may notice the footnotes on this particular passage of Scripture talking about the results of worry. There are five of them. There may be room on your bulletin if you want to write them down. I'll go through them slowly. But worry can affect you tremendously and it can damage your character and your life and rob you of many joys of life. Here's the first effect of worry. It will damage your health. For you to worry excessively will damage your health. It causes ulcers. It causes high blood pressure, heart problems. It drains you of your energy. It will damage your health. The second thing is that it will cause the object of your worry to consume your thoughts. It will be constantly on your mind and will enable you uh, to, um, to not think about anything else. You just think about whatever it is that's on your heart and a burden to you and you worry about it. So it calls the object of our worry to consume your thoughts. Thirdly, it will disrupt your productivity. It will disrupt your productivity. You just will not be as productive in your life when you're consumed with worry. The fourth thing negatively affects the way that you treat other people. So whatever it is that you're worried about, you may be worried about some people and things that have been said or done against you and for you, that uh, it affects you and you, you think negatively about other people. And then finally, it will reduce your ability to trust in God. It will reduce your ability to trust in God. Now, there's a difference between worry and concern. And you want to write this down. If you don't write down anything else, if you don't remember anything else, if I could summarize the sermon into one thought, this is it. You might say, well, pastor, give it to us and we'll leave. No, not going to do that. But here it is. The difference between worry and concern. Worry immobilizes. Worry immobilizes you. You just kind of just give up worrying about it. But concern moves you to action. Concern moves you to action. Worry immobilizes you, but concern moves you to action. Quite often we find ourselves worried about matters that we need not worry about at all. Mark Twain once said, I am an old man and I have known many troubles, but most of them never happened. Most never happened. Take your Bibles, if you would, please keep your place here at, Psalm, at Matthew 6 and turn to Psalm 37. The Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm 37. There's just a couple of verses that I want to point out to you here and then we'll come back to Matthew chapter 6. But Psalm 37 is a psalm about worry. Three different times in Psalm 37, you'll find the words, do not fret. Look at verse one, do not fret. Verse seven says, do not fret. Verse eight says, do not fret. The word fret is kin to the word friction. So whatever it is that's causing friction in your life that you're worried about, you will fret over that. And so if you would please look at verses 8 and 9 in, uh, verse, uh, in chapter 37. Psalm 37, look at verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Another translation of evil doing is harm. For you to be fretful, 
it will lead to harm. What will, it, what will the harm be? It will corrode your character. That's what it will do to you. It will corrode your character. And so he says, do not fret. Look at verse nine. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. So wait on the Lord. Relax. Don't react. Relax. So Psalm 37, do not fret. It only leads to harm. It will corrode your character. Notice in Psalm 37, look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. It says, commit your way to the Lord. The literal meaning of verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, means roll your troubles over onto the Lord. Just give them over to him. Roll them over to him. Uh, Peter carries this same idea when he says to, you know, put your trust in the Lord and, and roll all of your burdens upon the Lord. So whatever it is that's troubling you, whatever it is that's bothering you, whatever it is that's aggravating you and frustrating you and you're all uptight over and stressed out about and worried over, the Lord says, just roll it over on me. He is a big God. You can't place too much on him to overburden him. And now take your Bibles again here in Psalm 37, but turn forward to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 25. Proverbs 12, 25. The New American Standard translation that I read from says, Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weights it down, but a good word makes it glad. Look at it again. Anxiety in a man's heart weights it down. You feel so heavy in your heart. You're so uptight and worried about whatever the problem is you're dealing with or whatever person who is a problem for you that you're dealing with, it, it lays heavy on your heart. It'll weigh heavy on your heart. It'll weigh your heart down, but a good word, an encouraging word, a kind word will lift it up. An example of this in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. After Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus, uh, he spent some time with the Lord and when he began his ministry, People rejected him at the beginning. They were concerned about him. Was not this the man who made havoc of the church? He, he hunted down Christians and persecuted them and, and witnessed their, their, the execution of them. So they were gr greatly hesitant to do that. It, if it had not been for Barnabas, Barnabas took Paul or, uh, under his wing and became a, an encourager to him. In fact, the word Barnabas means that, son of encouragement. And Barnabas went around with the Apostle Paul introducing him to other people and encouraging them to listen to him as Paul began his public ministry with the Lord's hand on his life and his words. So Barnabas was a son of encouragement. He was an encourager to Paul. The Lord will be an encourager to us. Uh, I, I remember a statement that Billy Sunday, the, the late evangelist, another uh, uh, evangelist of another era, uh, equivalent of Billy Graham today. But he was uh, a converted uh, man. He, he was, was a professional baseball player, turned to the Lord, got saved, and, and became an evangelist. Um, he, he said this, listen, I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll build it, uh, butt it as long as I've got a head, and I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it until I go to glory and it goes to perdition. 
I'd like to go back and requote him, but this time instead of using the word sin, to use the word worry. Because worry is a sin, it is. So it would read like this, listen, I'm against worry. I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head and I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it until I go to home to glory and it goes to hell or perdition. Worry is indeed a sin. I read about a young teenage boy who was driving a big hay rack down the country road when it turned over right in front of a farmer's house. The farmer came out and saw the young boy crying and he said, son, don't worry about this. We can fix it. Right now, my wife just has finished cooking the meal for dinner. So why don't you come in and let's sit down and eat. And when we have finished, I'll help you put the hay back on the rack. Well, the boy said to him, I, I can't do that. My father's going to be real angry with me. The farmer said, now don't, let's don't argue. Just come in and let's have some lunch and, and you'll feel a lot better. And the boy said, well, I, I'm afraid my father is going to be upset. He's going to be angry with me. But the farmer persisted and so the young boy went inside and had dinner. Afterwards, as they were walking out to the hay rack, the farmer said, well, now don't you feel better? The boy said, well, yes, I do, but I do believe my dad's going to be so upset with me, he's going to be angry with me. And the farmer said, nonsense, son, he's not going to do that. By the way, where is your father? And the boy said, he's under all of that hay. <laughs> I guess there are some things that we need to be concerned about. <laughs> So let's look at the ideas. The outline that's on your bulletin that will help you keep up with the message today. And the first thing that we really want to focus on is that we see a life that is disturbed by worry. Three different times in the passage, Jesus says, do not worry. It will disturb your life. It really will. Now, the Greeks thought of worry as something that would tear a man in two just pull you in opposite directions. It's the same type of word that Jesus used over there in John 14 where he says, let not your heart be troubled. The word troubled there means to be torn apart. And there are a lot of things in life that tears apart. We just feel that we're being pulled in all different kinds of directions. The Latin word literally suggests a turmoil on the inside, that on the inside you're just in turmoil, it's just a storm going on on the inside of your heart or your mind. The Anglo-Saxon word that's translated worry carries the idea of choking, like uh, an animal, a wolf, maybe attacking a, a lamb or a sheep or some other animal and, and grabbing its, its throat and just choking it to death, biting at its throat. Another passage of scripture that I want you to look at is in Matthew's gospel, but this time turn to chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the parable that we call the parable of the, of the sower. The, the sower who went forth and sowed the seed. And in the first nine verses of Matthew chapter 13, uh, this is the way the story reads, beginning with verse three. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and, and ate them up. 
Others fell on the rocky places uh, where they did not have very much soil and immediately they sprang up, but because there was no depth of soil, when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they were withered away. Verse seven, others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. Others fell on the grid soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. But look at verse seven, Matthew 13, verse seven. Others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. Still in Matthew chapter 13, skip down this time to, to, to verse 22 because Jesus interprets. They ask him, explain the parable to us. Well, for the sake of time, we'll just skip down to verse 22 because he talks about the thorns. The seed that fell among the thorns, verse 22 says, and the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world, the what? The worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So here Jesus is expanding on what he said in chapter six, where he said, what will worry do for you? It will literally choke the life out of you. It will immobilize you. It will make you unproductive in your, in your, in your life. And so Jesus is saying, do not let worry choke you to death. Someone has said, I called sin a moment ago, sin, and I got this, well, from the scriptures, of course, but here's what Charles Trumbull said. Worry is sin. A black, murderous, God-defying, Christ-rejecting sin. Worry about anything at any time, whatever, is a sin. You will never know victory over worry and anxiety until you treat it as a sin, a sin. Again, Jesus said, don't worry. And when he said, do not worry, he addressed four major subjects that you and I face in life. First of all, food. Don't worry about the food that you're going to eat. Look at verse 20. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, this time in verse 25, Jesus said, don't worry about your food. Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink. So don't worry about your food. Not only not worry about your food, don't worry about your fitness. Verse 25 also says, do not be worried about your body. Food, fitness. The third thing, he says, don't worry about fashion. Because he says in verses 25 and 28, do not be worried about what you will put on your clothing. Do not worry about that. And then the fourth thing that he talked about, not only food and fitness and fashion, but he talked about the future. In verse 34, he said, do not worry about tomorrow. Every day has enough trouble of its own. So don't save over to the next day what you're worrying about today. Deal one day at a time. There's an old country song that talks about that. One day at a time, sweet Jesus, one day at a time. Now, Jesus said three things about worry that would cause us to not want to worry. First of all, worry is needless. It's needless. Look at verse 26, Matthew chapter six, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, gather into barns, and your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? So God takes care of the little birds in the air, the little sparrows and the robins, the cardinals, the eagles, all of those, all the creatures that fly around. God takes care of those creatures. He made them. 
and he provides for them. And so if God cares so much about a little sparrow or a bird or a fowl of some kind, don't you think that you are of greater value to God than they are? Why, certainly you are. And so if God is going to provide for them, surely he can provide for you. He's a great God. He loves you. He cares about you. And so trust him to provide for you. Not only the fowls of the air, but the flowers in the field. Look at verse 28 and 29. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed himself not, did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Sometimes the flowers of the field were cut down and used as kindling to start a fire. And yet God goes to great length and power and imagination and creativity to create a beautiful flower that is here only for a short period of time. And yet he says the little flower that grows in the field is arrayed with greater beauty than Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, could ever have been clothed with all of his wealth and the wealth, the clothing that his wealth could provide. The flower is taking care. Look at these beautiful flowers that grace our altar table today. They are beautiful. And God created these flowers and he spent all of this time in making them so beautiful. And yet someday, soon, they will wither dry up and die and they'll be gone. But if God cares to make such beautiful flowers that's here today and gone tomorrow, don't you think God cares more about you than a flower? Why, certainly he does. So it is needless for you to worry about these things. Not only is it needless, it's useless. Worry will not lengthen your life and it will not strengthen your life. Look at verse 27. And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to your life? The King James says add a, uh, you know, anything to your height. Uh, both meanings are correct, but the, the word add to your life is, is the more pr prominent definition of the word. So all of your worry, you, you cannot lengthen your, your, your statue, your height, but nor can you add another hour or a single day to your life worrying about the things uh, that whatever it is that's bothering you, John Wesley translates, translates it, which of you can add a moment to your life? No, it won't add any, any hours or days or weeks to your life, but it'll take away some of them. It will. It was, he, he was saying that worry never calmed a troubled heart, never dried a tear, never lifted a burden or made a bad thing a good thing. He's saying just, it just isn't worth it. It's useless for you to try. Worry does not eliminate your problems. Rather, it enlarges your problem. Worrying is like cultivating and watering the ground that you haven't even planted anything in. Worry never climbed a hill, never paid a bill, never dried a tear, never calmed a fear, never cooked a meal, nor never fixed a broken wheel. Worry is useless. It's needless, it's useless. The third thing, worry is faithless. Faithless. Notice what he says in verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Have faith in God. God sees your needs. 
The little word know, the God knows. He says in verse 32, the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things. The word knows there means that he sees it. God looks at you. He's aware of you. He cares about you. He watches over you. He sees what your needs are and he will provide whatever your needs, not your wants, but your needs. He will provide those for you if you will trust him and if you will turn to him. Our heavenly father sees your needs and our heavenly father will supply your needs. Paul said that my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, don't sit down and mope and feel sorry and give way to despair, but get up, sing, and say the Lord's Prayer. Trust God. The late Corey Ten Boom says, don't wrestle, just nestle. Nestle in the loving arms of our Heavenly Father. So we see what life can do and be disturbed by, by worrying. Notice the second thing, not only we see a life disturbed by worrying, but we see a life delivered from worry. And for this, we go to, to the book of Philippians. So just take your Bibles and turn over in your scriptures to the book of Philippians, chapter four, <clears throat> verses six and seven. We see a life that is delivered from worry. We're talking about winning over worry and what Jesus had to say about it. So now we see a life that can be delivered from worry. And so in the book of Philippians, Paul tells us to do first two things. He said, we are to turn to God with our worries. Look at it in Philippians 4 and verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So turn to the Lord. Don't know a better person to go to than to the Lord. You remember the sixth chapter of John's gospel when Jesus talked about his being the bread that came down from heaven? Not as your fathers did eat in the wilderness and died. I'm the bread of life, he said. That offended a lot of people. They turned away from Jesus to walk with him no more. Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, will you also turn away from me? Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom else shall we turn? We believe that you have life, that you are life. You're the son of God. There's nobody else that we can turn to who understands what we're going through, who can provide and meet our needs like you can, Lord. Nobody. So we turn to the Lord and we pray to the Lord and we share with the Lord whatever it is that's on our hearts. So in verse, verse six, he says, don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then notice consequently in verse seven, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God will gladden your heart and the peace of God will guard your heart if you'll turn to him and trust him and talk to the Lord about your problems. I want to share a couple of personal experiences with you, if you don't mind. Because, see, I, I, I've been a worry wart in my life, too. I've allowed things to rob me of the joy of the Lord many times. I remember uh, I graduated from the seminary at Southwestern in 1969 with a Master of Divinities degree. I would love to have gone into the doctorate program, but didn't have the grades to do so. I'm not as smart as you think I am. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, so I thought, well, I'll never be able to, to be in the doctorate program, never be able to have a, a doctor's degree, unless I do one through mail order. <laughs> I wouldn't do that, too expensive. 
So I didn't think I would be able to go into the program, but I'm going to cut out a lot of the story because of time. But uh, the Lord worked it out. One day I met, I met Dr. Jimmy Nelson. He was the director of the Doctor of Ministries program there. And uh, he encouraged me to apply because there were more things uh, considered for the Doctor of Ministries program. So um, I did. I, I applied. One of the requirements, of course, I'd been out of the seminary uh, for so long that I had to take some, uh, retake some uh, entrance exams. One was the Miller, Miller Analogies uh, uh, Test, MAT, M-A-T, Miller Analogies Test. I didn't think anything about it. Hey, I, I can breeze through that. So I took it. I, I lived in Quitman at the time, and the nearest place that I could take it was at Tyler, the University of Texas there at Tyler. So I took the exam, and uh, it's few weeks passed and I got the results of it and I called Dr. Nelson. I said, Dr. Nelson, I told him what I made on the test. I'm not going to tell you what I made on the test, okay? But I told him, I said, Dr. Nelson, I made, and I told him what I made. There was silence on the end of the phone. Finally, he said, take it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, this time I went down to Tyler and, and the bookstore there in the mall at that time and so I bought one of those practice exam books, you know, and, and so well, I got that book and I crammed, I studied, I was about six or eight weeks because it was about two or three months before I could take the test again. I crammed it, I studied, I take, took those practice exams and everything and got the grade back. This time it was acceptable. Man, I was so glad. Then I got in the program. I never will forget the first week I was there. I was a basket case. I was so nervous. I was glad to be in the doctorate ministry program, but, but I began to worry. I was afraid that I'd fail. Being with professors, being with other students who had larger grades than I did, better grades than I did, uh, I, I just let it worry me to death. I was stressed out to the point that I came down with strep throat the first week that I was there. Strep throat, I had fever, I had to go to the to the campus clinic in order to get some medicine to help me get over it. I was, I was sweating. I was, I was terrified, terrified by all of it. I didn't think that I could measure up. I just didn't feel that I was qualified or adequate to be there. I certainly didn't deserve to be there. But I took it to the Lord, and the Lord helped me to cope with it. And when I, when the first week that I was there, even though I was dealing with a headache and fever and strep throat, I loved the professors. And they were kind and supportive and encouraging and helpful. They were demanding. Uh, they, you know, we took the same courses as the PhD boys did. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not an inferior degree. I, I earned it by the sweat of my brow, as do all the, the guys who go through either the DMIN program or the PhD program. We, we, were, we were right there with all, with all of them. But God took all of that stress and all of that worry away from me, for which I am eternally grateful. The second time that I really stressed out and worried was in 1998 when I was here and I suffered a heart attack, as you well know, and uh, almost died. And uh, I had to be, uh, I took, I, every, I did everything backwards. I was sitting in my office upstairs working on a sermon and I began to hurt in my chest and my arm and in my back. And uh, Linda was playing the organ, practicing, and uh, when the pain went up my arm and got in the middle of my back and hit me like that, I knew something was wrong. 
I called the doctor's office and the nurse said, we'll come to the office. Shouldn't have done that. I should have called for the ambulance. But I came down and got Linda. I said, I need to go to the doctor. She got me in the car, took me to the doctor. Uh, office. Uh, he laid me on the table, gave me the examination. He said, you're having a heart attack right now. Uh, and he told Linda to go get the car. He's going to take me over to the emergency room. And uh, uh, he put me in the wheelchair uh, and started pushing me out. I said, now, what is a doctor doing pushing me with a wheelchair? That's a nurse's responsibility. And yet he was pushing me there. He got me out to the curb and he told Linda, says, drive on over there. I'm going to push him over there myself. So he started pushing me in a wheelchair across the parking lot, got about halfway to the hospital and took out in a run, pushing me, running with me. And I said to myself, I am in trouble. I am in trouble. I got into the examination room there in the emergency room and passed out. They had to shock me twice and getting ready to shock me the third time when I came around. There were a lot of things that contributed to my heart attack. And worry and stress were two of the major things. I can't tell you what I was worried about, none of your business. <laughs> but I do believe with all of my heart, it was one of the strongest contributing factors to my heart attack. I ended up going to Houston and having bypass surgery Six months later, had a second heart attack. They don't tell you that some of those bypasses can collapse on you. And that's what happened. But I stand before you today by the grace of God. I do. So we see a life delivered from worry. Third thing quickly, my time is up, but one more thing. We see a life defended from worry. For in verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. So it will gladden your heart. Instead of worry, there will be worship. Instead of trouble, a troubling heart, there will be a trusting heart. Instead of a grieved heart, there will be a glad heart. God will take care of you. Worry is a squatter. You know what a squatter is? A squatter is a person who'll take control of a piece of property that... Um, has been neglected by even an owner. <laughs> you, you may be aware of, a, of an incident that actually took place where there was a couple out in California who had a nanny, hired a nanny, <laughs> called the nanny from hell, because <laughs> they had hired her to come into the home and to look after her children. And when she got into the home, she didn't do what they had hired her to do and they tried to get rid of her and she wouldn't leave. And the law said that she has homesteaded. She has a room in that house and they can't get rid of her. I mean, she's there and she's just sitting there and she's not doing the work, but they can't get rid of her. A nanny from hell because she's a squatter. And do you know that's what worry will do to you? It will become a squatter in your life and it will rob you of every joy that God has intended for you to experience, it will immobilize you 
But thanks be to God, you can get rid of it. You can control it. You can win over worry if you'll turn to the Lord and trust Him and trust Him. There's a difference between worrying and being concerned. And if you are going to worry about something, if you're going to be concerned about something, here's something you really need to be concerned about. Where are you going to spend eternity? If you don't know, you ought to be concerned, my friend. And I don't say worry because worry immobilizes you. And when it comes to where you're going to spend eternity, I don't want you to be immobilized. I want you to be concerned enough and the Lord wants you to be concerned about, enough about where you're going to spend eternity that you'll do something about it. And what you do about it is that you turn to the Lord and you confess to him that you are a sinner. You confess to him that you're not capable of saving yourself or doing anything at all about changing your life and your lifestyle. But if you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and you repent of your sins and you ask him to come into your life and save you from your sins and give you eternal life, and he will. God will never lie to you. He will never break a promise to you. And if you will call upon him, he will save you. And if you will trust him as your Lord and as your Savior, when it comes time for you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will not be afraid. You will not be frustrated. You will not be agitated. You will not... You will not be worried about where you will spend eternity to leave this life because you are a child of God is to enter into the very presence of God Almighty. And you won't have a thing in this world to worry about. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for being such a loving and caring Heavenly Father. We love you for it. There's no burden, no, no care, no anxiety, no frustrating experience, no agitation in life that you cannot handle and relieve us from. If we'll just turn to you and trust you, you can gladden our hearts and your peace will stand as a sentinel guarding us from all the evil darts that the devil can throw at us. I wish that I could look into every heart of every individual who is here today. Lord, but I cannot. You can. And you know who is here. You know what they're struggling with and they're worried about. Holy Spirit, encourage them to turn to you, to turn to the Lord, to cast all of their burden upon you because you care for them. And if there is one here today who is not sure about where they're going to spend eternity and they're concerned about it enough, to do something about it. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, bring the convicting power into existence in their lives. Prick their hearts. Help them to know that Christ is the answer and can relieve them of the burden of sin if they will but trust him. Bless this time of invitation to your honor and to your glory and to our good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand please? And if God is leading you to come, please come. <laughs>